both men and women have super important things to learn from each other around communication. And this one is a big one that I think is important for women to learn, which is when men have worked something through, they're done with it. And I know, again, that there are different aspects to the way our brains work, and women will hold on to the detail. Probably, again, for protection purposes. But it's also important to understand that if you approach your relationship from the standpoint that you're well-intentioned for them and they're well-intentioned for you, then it's like, don't hold on to the hurt. They're not trying to hurt you. Work it out, get the meaning, and then let it go. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, I am joined by a dear friend and fellow author. Dr. Joan Rosenberg released her book this last week on the same exact day as mine, and I feel so blessed to be in the company of such a brilliant woman who is changing lives with her knowledge each and every day. Dr. Rosenberg's new book is all about how to master your difficult feelings to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. And it's called 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. I mean, how amazing is that? Now, today we are going to specifically address how to release anxiety. And as a bonus, Dr. Joan is going to share about how to build confidence. But before we jump into this incredible conversation, I just want to take a moment and I want to invite you to reach out to me and let me know what you are loving so far on the Essentially You podcast. We are now at two episodes per week and more and more listeners every single day are jumping in. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. You are literally helping to spread the word in such a big way through word of mouth, and it is making a massive impact. Now, I received the most epic Instagram message a couple days ago by this wonderful woman named Deborah, and she was sharing this because she had discovered the podcast several months ago and wanted to let me know kind of what the impact has had on her. So if you don't mind, I want to share a little bit about what she wrote to me about a week or two ago. I found your podcast late last year, right before November, and I was going through a very hard time. I felt exhausted and I was running on fumes. Your recommendations gave me assurance And I finally tried a couple of essential oils for the first time, specifically for my energy and stress levels. Now, I used your Stress Be Gone blend, which I will share with you guys in just a moment. And for the first time, I felt like I wasn't in a fog. I had no idea I could feel like that so quickly that I could immediately feel like I wasn't in this fog anymore. Now, I am so excited for your new book, and it is being delivered literally on February 12th. So thank you so much, Deborah, for sharing your essential oil healing journey with me. I am so grateful to be on this journey with you, and I hope that now that you've got the book, that you're enjoying all of the recipes. Now, I want to just quickly share my Stress Be Gone blend with you guys since Deborah did mention it. It is in the book. I actually have a picture of it on Instagram as well. And the recipe, it's a 10 mil roller, 
with three essential oils, so 10 ml roller, and you're gonna add 10 drops of wild orange, which is my favorite oil. Oh my gosh, if you hear this, these episodes, you know how much I love wild orange. It is eight drops of lavender and eight drops of frankincense. And you just top it off, top the roller off with fractionated coconut oil or grapeseed oil or jojoba oil, whatever oil you love. And you just roll that on your palms, rub your palms together and take some deep belly breaths. The wild orange and the frankincense are going to give you a little bit of a serotonin booster, just boosting those happy neurotransmitters. And then the lavender is going to calm and relax the mind. So it really is great for, for kind of getting out of that fog, getting out of that stress and giving yourself a little bit of extra joy in the day. And that is what I love so much about essential oils is how they can give you these beautiful quick wins as you're creating sustainable changes in the body. So again, Deborah, thank you so much for sharing that with me. You know, what's important to me is that shedding truth on how to heal your hormones is imperative. And I want to make sure that I'm touching upon topics that are relevant to you personally, as well as the people who matter most in your life. Since we have started the podcast, I have received hundreds of emails and messages on social media from women just like you who are adopting the advice and recommendations shared literally in these episodes. I am beyond moved and grateful to not only hear from you, but to get to know you, to get to understand what you're looking for so that I can even serve you better. Now you can reach out to me by connecting to me on Instagram and that is at Dr. Marisa. So at D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A or heading over to my website at drmarisa.com slash episode 66 or simply review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you plug into. That way I can continue to share these episodes with even more women so that they can become the CEO of their own health. Because let's be honest, we need this message more than ever today. Now, another thing I wanted to share is that I'm going to be showing up a little bit more with my own exclusive topics that I think you are going to love. Topics like perimenopause and how to navigate that, thyroid support, and so much more. Now, speaking of things that you are going to love. Did you know that my new book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, just published last week on February 12th, 2009, and it's available now anywhere and everywhere books are sold. Now, this last week has been such a dream. I mean, oh my goodness, my voice is a little raspy today because I've done so many interviews, I've done so many lives, I've been out there talking about the book every single day, even on the weekend. And it has become a multiple bestseller on Amazon. It has sold tens of thousands of copies so far. And you know what? I am just getting started. So have you grabbed your copy yet? If so, thank you so much. My hope is that you take the information that you learned in this book and you share it with someone else that you care about. If you haven't grabbed a copy yet, no worries. I just want to invite you to grab a copy of the essential oils hormone solution for yourself and also for someone that you love that you know really needs these solutions and really needs this resource. You know, this book is such a powerful resource that needs to be shared in a big way. And it's through word of mouth that a book like this goes into the world to create massive impact. And what I love is that this book is specifically 
focusing on not only what is going on with our hormones, but how we can leverage the power of plant-based nutrition and plant-based medicine, self-care, supplementation, and so much more to get your body back on track. And it's backed with hundreds of cited research articles. So I wanted to ask, will you collaborate with me and be the rising tide that lifts all women everywhere? Right now, I have met so many women who are purchasing this book for their mom, their daughter, their sister, their best friend, their aunt. I mean, it's incredible to see how many women right now are buying two, three, four copies of this book so they can give it to the women that matter most to them. I myself bought 15 copies on Amazon and I have sent them off in the mail to all of the women that mean so much to me. Now, As a small token of my appreciation, I have created $300 worth in epic bonus goodies as a big thank you for ordering your copy of my upcoming book, well, of my book now, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution. And the cool thing about it is that although you'll be waiting a couple days for the book to arrive, you will get these instant bonus goodies instantaneously. And how you do that is one, you just go order a copy of the book at your favorite online retailer, or better yet, head on into a local bookstore. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm actually doing a book tour, a 12-city book tour, I believe. Now, I'm mostly on the West Coast, and I kick that book tour off later on this week. I start in the Bay Area. But if you want to see if I am heading to your area, all you got to do is go to Dr. Marisa, so D-R-M-A-R-I-C-A.com slash book tour. Now, a couple of the locations are close to getting sold out, which is so exciting, but there are still tickets available and we do have a wait list just in case. So please go check out the book tour. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be on the website and hopefully I will get to see you and give you a big hug. What I really wanted to say here is that the books will be at local bookstores. It's always great to support local bookstores. And I don't know, there's something to be said to walk into a bookstore and to grab that hard copy and you just own it right then and there. So once you go and get it at your favorite retailer, no matter what works for you, you're gonna head on over to my book bonus page, which is drmarisa.com slash hormone book. Now it's on the website, it's on my Dr. Marisa website, it's on Instagram and my profile. I mean, you can, you'll be able to find it pretty easily. It'll also be in the show notes. And then you're gonna just enter your details and the bonuses will instantly arrive in your inbox and you can get to balancing your hormones with all of the incredible bonus goodies that I have in there for you. Now, if you already purchased the book and you're just hearing about the bonuses for the first time, well, no worries. You just gotta go to that book bonus page put in your information and bam, instant bonuses in your inbox. Now, these bonuses are my self-care video series, my hormone masterclass, my best hormone cheat sheets, the top five interviews from the EO Hormone Summit, which goes over liver protocol, thyroid protocols, emotional wellness protocols. Oh my gosh, those five interviews are so incredible and so much more. So that's what I wanted to share with you. We already have thousands of people grabbing those bonuses as we speak. So I definitely want you to take advantage of them as well. All right. Well, let's now dive into this epic conversation on how to release anxiety and build confidence. But before we do, I want to quickly sing Dr. Joan Rosenberg's praises. 
Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who is a PhD, created the Emotional Mastery and Emotional Mastery Training and is a highly regarded expert psychologist, master clinician, trainer, and corporate consultant. As a cutting-edge psychologist who is known as an innovative thinker, trainer, and speaker, Joan has shared her life-changing ideas and models for emotional mastery with people around the world. A two-time TEDx speaker and a member of the Association of Transformational Leaders, she has been recognized as a thought leader and an influence in personal development. Her new book, which is out, literally out a week ago, same day as mine, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, is absolutely worth grabbing. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. How are you doing today? I'm awesome, Marisa, and I'm so touched that you're including me here. I love it. I know we have been talking about getting you on the show for a minute, but my goodness, you are a busy woman. And for good reason, a lot of people need you all the time. (laughs) I would have to say. Very sweet. We're talking about a topic that I know you have some pretty strong opinions on and not even so much strong research on, and that is releasing anxiety. And as you know, this is a hot topic today. A lot of people are feeling anxious, and I know that you have some really incredible skills around working, just helping people move through these unpleasant emotions. Now, what I want to do before we get into this is, Dr. Rosenberg, what was the impetus? What kind of how did this become your passion to work with people on an emotional level to really help people heal some of these emotional wounds? You know, I, if I look back at my life, I started out as a very, very shy child. And, and though I talk about being exquisitely shy. And, and if people remember the whole notion of wallflowers, and somebody off to the side like that, I used to say that I was Velcroed to the wall. I felt like an outsider, felt like I didn't belong. And it meant looking at all the other people around me, or kids in this case, and going, I want to have what they seem to have. They seem to connect well with each other. They feel like they belong. They seem to be confident, and they laugh a lot, and all those kinds of things. And that was not my starting point. So, you know, early there was, there's a, a wound like that, if you will, and, and that quality of, of not fitting in and not being confident. And then as I got older and my leanings were always towards psychology and connecting with others. And so when I had the opportunity, it was a real natural fit for me to move into psychology. And as certainly the benefit of some of that is that one begins to understand oneself better. And that happened. And then as I did the work, then watching what happened when I was working with clients all the time, and as much as the way we think gets in our way and and helps us feel worse about ourselves as opposed to better, what I found is that people really struggled with dealing with unpleasant feelings. And then over time, I started to see how unpleasant feelings contributed to how they linked up, how they intersected with this whole idea of confidence and everything else. So so then it felt like I was answering two questions. Like one is how do people develop confidence? And then the second was, 
why is it that people struggle with unpleasant feelings? And then it evolved into a third, which is how do those two fit together? Hmm. Well, I agree that a lot of people are both concerned about confidence and trying to get more confidence, trying to figure out the stem of that. And then, you know, we have a lot of anxiousness right now. One of the things I loved in your journey is that just knowing oneself and in your journey, did you, I I take it, you know, because I know this is your expertise, you must have gotten a lot of clarity about how these were gifts for you. You being the way that you were was really a, a win. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, when you discovered yourself, did that kind of, did the confidence come into play or did you find that there was some practice around that as well? I would say certainly the pr- there's practice to it. And I would say that actually came later. And uh, oddly enough, it probably came in my early 30s. Uh, I mean, that, there were different points before that that I started to feel confident but there were what I would call kind of different awakening moments. So, I mean, one of those I, I talked about on a TEDx talk that I did where I, I talked about being told that I was boring. And that was a massive gut punch. And it was like, what's that about? And, and what does that mean? And what does that mean for me going forward? And as much as the, the phrase hurt, it turned into, if you will, a wound that became kind of a portal into something way more important. And you're right. So part of it is that the, our wounds be, do become our gifts if we can lean into them in that way. That was one. Another moment was I'd lost a, a friend and I was aware of sadness that, that I was kind of thinking it and feeling it, but I couldn't feel it as deeply, if you will, in my body. And that felt like another one of those moments. It's like, wait a minute. I know I should be like literally feeling, sensing the sadness in my body, and I couldn't feel it. And it was like, whoa, what is this about? So it was trying to understand that. And then all the things that I was doing to deeply understand myself, which involved as well putting my own self in therapy, plus, you know, really digging into the things that I felt I was struggling with. Then as I, started to feel more confident and was began to take more risks to do things and to put myself out there. In this case, it was not only finishing graduate school, but it was then it was teaching and doing clinical work. Then it's like all of those pieces then started to kind of fall into place and like a jigsaw puzzle start to fit together. Well, I think it was really profound about the conversation we're going to have. So we're going to get into kind of facing these unpleasant feelings. We're going to get into your three-part formula, which you and I have talked about a lot over the years. In your own journey, these are a lot of the things that you kind of had to overcome yourself. And so it's it's really refreshing not only to be able to work with a practitioner who they themselves have kind of come onto the other side and really explored what it feels like to kind of just look those unpleasant feelings in the eyes and be able to move through them to a place of of peace and grace and kind of getting to the other side of it, but also being able to leverage that to support other people. And one of the things you tell me, and I think we recognize this with everyone, is nobody wants to face their unpleasant experiences, those unpleasant feelings. And what? tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you, you definitely understand the insight on that. I just know from a personal, as a person, I definitely had avoided some of those feelings in the past. Oh, yeah. Well, I I would say who among us hasn't. So, And in some cases, who among us still isn't. But for me, the goal really is is helping people understand why that seems like such a big deal and what makes it so hard to feel them. 
so what I realized, and it, it actually took neuroscience research, the, the kind of the unpacking of all of that, for me to be able to to take those puzzle pieces and to start to put the puzzle together. So we're talking about the late ni- mid to late '90s and into the early 2000s, especially. What I realized, it's like let's let's start with the importance of them first, and it's like the single most important aspect about unpleasant feelings is that they're really there for our protection. So when we get angry or we get disappointed or or we get sad or something like that, there's a part of us that's saying, "Don't go there, so that you don't hurt," and and so that it's those feelings are there in essence for our protection. And and what I want people to be aware of is that I'm not talking about them as bad and I'm not talking about them as negative because I don't see them in that light. I see them as really important. So they're unpleasant or they're uncomfortable or they're unsettling, but they're not bad or negative feelings. Again, because they're there for our protection. And I also think that we don't have a sense of wholeness, like being fully ourselves if we shut them down. And and then I think it, because of that, we we don't feel as true to ourselves, we don't feel as authentic, and then we can't have the confidence and everything else that we could have if we actually allowed ourselves to experience them. So here's the key. When a feeling fires off for any one of us, kind of fires off in the brain, what ends up happening is we get this like rush of neurochemicals or biochemicals into our bloodstream. And when that happens, it activates bodily sensations. And what's interesting is it's those bodily sensations that actually help us know what we're feeling emotionally. And then in a, you know, a very short period of time, they flush out of the bloodstream and then we're kind of, if you will, back to normal or back to where we were. And what dawned on me is that it's not a matter of any one of us not wanting to feel kind of the whole range of feelings that we feel. What I realize is that we don't want to feel the bodily sensations that actually help us know what we feel. So that's kind of the this like turning point that a lot of my work is hinged on. It's we don't want to feel the bodily sensation piece of it. And if we knew that that was short lived, then we could probably lean into the unpleasant feeling. It doesn't feel good, you know, with that bodily sensation. And so talk to me about, I know that you've, you know, in the research and in the study, it doesn't take us a long time. Well, is it that if we're trained, it shouldn't take us a long time to move through that? Because I will say there have been moments in my life where it's felt like that unpleasant feeling lasted longer than I'd like. Yeah, right. Well, let me let me frame that because I, I talk about that and I know that you have a wonderful book coming out and I think we're chasing each other on that one. But in the book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, I talk about this. Let me walk you through kind of a formula that it's really simple for people to use so that I can kind of take people on that journey with that amount of time that you just referenced. And then I'll talk about the lingering feeling piece that you also talked about. My whole thing is if, if somebody remembers the formula, one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds, then they can, they can actually lean right into those unpleasant feelings. Give it to us, Joan. I'm going to give it, I'm going to hand it right to you. The one choice has to do with choosing awareness as opposed to avoidance. And when I talk about the awareness piece, it's what I want people to do is to choose into being aware of and in touch with as much of their moment to moment experience as they can bear. Again, the key awareness, not avoidance of that. 
And then my focus is really centered on people dealing with moving through, experiencing, moving through, handling, whatever words you want to put to it, eight unpleasant feelings. And the eight feelings are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. So the big question I often get here is like, why those eight? And it's because people would say, well, you know, what about unworthiness? I don't see that as a feeling. What about fear? Well, I want people to have fear because when they're facing danger, they should be fearful, but the word is misused a lot. So there's lots of reasons I didn't choose other words. The reason I chose these eight is because they're the most common reactions to things not turning out the way we want. And in that formula, we're able, the purpose of it, and I'm trying to give a little bit of context, how do I understand it, is how we're able, how we can train ourselves to move through those unpleasant feelings in about 90 seconds. Is that correct? Right, right. Well, so it's, yes. So it's, so the other part of this is, if I go back to the explanation I was doing a moment ago, when all those chemicals kind of rush into our bloodstream, the intensity and the wave of those chemicals, if you will, lasts roughly up to 90 seconds. So if I know that, as let's say I hate the experience of disappointment, but I know now that, oh, it's really not going to last that long. So if I feel disappointed about something, then all I got to do is kind of hang out with the bodily sensation of it because that's the thing that feels the most uncomfortable, that's the thing I want to avoid the most, then I'll be able to tolerate the emotional feeling of disappointment and I can move on. Now, might it be more than one wave? Yeah, it might be. It's not just one wave necessarily. It could be multiple waves of some kind of a feeling. And what keeps feelings lingering or have that quality of lingering is because we keep on rethinking the same thoughts or we keep on calling up the same memory. And as we, as we do, as we kind of go over and over those thoughts or those memories, we're basically refiring off the same approximate feeling way. So now it feels like the feelings are lingering. So let me understand. So we, as long as we choose into experiencing this unpleasant feeling, we should be able to move through it with the guidance, with kind of your guidance and your strategy within about 90 seconds. Right. And I will say that most most feelings don't last that long. Oh, so most feelings don't last that long. Like we're going to sit in it. If you had a watch on your, or a digital or otherwise on your wrist, or you looked at your phone and you counted how, lo- how long this feels intense, I would say most of the time you're going to be well under that 90 seconds. I would say see the 90 seconds as kind of a, an upper range and see it metaphorically. It's this notion that it's actually just going to be a short period of time. It might, it might go up to 90 seconds if it's a super intense feeling. You'll feel it like when you feel embarrassed. The embarrassment doesn't last 90 seconds. You feel it for probably 15 or 20, and then the, the quality of your flushed, warm face kind of neck or whatever kind of goes away, and, it, and it's not 90 seconds. Now, something that's traumatic and more intense might last longer. So there's, there's kind of caveats to this. 
Absolutely. And I was thinking about what you were saying too on the, you know, let's say it is disappointment. Oh, and aren't we all disappointed, right? It's this, this mismanaged expectations. And, um, you know, what's an all woman, all woman crew here. I mean, not that there aren't some guys listening to the podcast, but mostly women. And you tell you what, woo, we remember things here in this. I know that this group of ladies do. So how is it that if I keep like, let's say something comes up, you know, my wonderful, wonderful darling husband, who you know very well yourself, just does something to me and I just cannot let it go. You know, and it just keeps popping up. How do we how do we manage that? You know, because if that wave of disappointment, let's we're just using this example for for one. Let's say I need to let that go. You know, I need to let go of that. I need to let go of that repeated feeling of disappointment. I'm not saying that I'm just using me as an example real quick, but how can you support us in that too? Because I have a feeling that there are people who are repeating these patterns. Oh, absolutely. No question about that. So it's, I mean, it's a great question. Your question for me raises other questions. So the first thing is, and I'm not asking you to answer this, but these are the kind of questions that run through. One is, did you let yourself actually experience the disappointment that kind of came up for you in whatever the situation was? That would be question one. Question two is, when you felt the disappointment, did you address it with your husband? Question three is, if you didn't, in the moment, did you at least address it some other time? Question four is, if you didn't do any of that, or if you did, great, it would actually help the feeling go away or help the, the thought kind of around the feelings go away. If you didn't, can you make sense of what meaning the situation holds for you? So what, what would be important about the fact that you were disappointed in this given situation? Is it something that's happened repeatedly? Is it something that's happened once? Has it been addressed before? You know, all those different kinds of questions for me come up in terms of even trying to answer the question, right? And many times what I will see is that someone will experience something, but they won't ever express the disappointment. So it never gets worked through. Or they don't make sense of what's triggering the disappointment that's so important that if it if that were resolved, it would one would be able to let go of things. The last part, which I think you're you're so on point with, what I will do is I will watch women hold on to past hurts. And that's a situation, interestingly enough, where women could learn something really important from men. Both men and women have super important things to learn from each other around communication. And this one is a big one that I think is important for women to learn, which is when men have worked something through, they're done with it. And I know, again, that our brains, there are different aspects to the way our brains work. And women will hold on to the detail, probably, again, for protection purposes. But it's also important to understand that, and this is for everybody, if you approach your relationship from the standpoint that you're seeing the other person as well-intentioned, that you're well-intentioned for them and they're well-intentioned for you, then it's like, don't hold on to the hurt. They're not trying to hurt you. Work it out, get the meaning, and then let it go. I like that. And I'm glad that you were able to kind of walk us through that process. Walk us through those really important questions so that we can get some closure and some clarity. Now, another thing that comes up a lot with the women that I work with is anxiety. And I know that you have you have a pretty good understanding around this with women feeling this this level of anxiety 
What is your take? Can you share that with us? Yes. Um, <laughs> I think the words fear and anxiety are generally misused. And I'm not sure if it would help to differentiate the two. I can do that if you want, but I can go straight into anxiety if that's preferred. I would love it. I think people are dealing with both. I'd love the differentiation. And then, yeah, kind of get into that. And I bet a lot of people, you know, I wouldn't call it necessarily a controversial statement, but do you ever get a little bit of um, resistance in that? Because people really hold on to their feeling of anxiety or their experience around anxiety. Oh, I think when I talk about it, because usually I'll be a little bit, I guess, a little bit cheeky about it or impish about it and, and say, well, I don't really believe in anxiety. Of course I do. But I also think because of the way I look at it, I also think that more times than not, we're not, we really are not having kind of that pure experience of it. And I have, I have another name for it that I think captures it more, the experience more success or more, or more it just captures it better. Fear. If we look at the way psychology defines fear, fear is danger in the moment right now. Or so danger in the moment, and it's happening, it's like happening right now. So if somebody's feeling fearful, they're really in danger, or there's life threat occurring, then, then I want them to have fear. Why? Again, because it's protective. It's going to move them to take action to either fight off the source of the danger or to flee from the danger. So I want them to have fear. But we use the word fear. When we talk about fear of public speaking, but somebody's not in danger really then. So it's not using that word in that situation really, in my mind, doesn't fit. So I want people to use different language because different language creates different meaning, which, cre you know, which elicits a different feeling. Then the more logical one would be anxiety. But again, I, the anxiety in my mind gets misused. So anxiety is diffuse apprehension of the future. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Then I describe myself as feeling anxious. Again, accurate, except if I go back to the eight feelings that I use all the time and that my work is centered around, then somebody's actually probably, when they're describing feeling anxious, they're probably actually feeling vulnerable. They're aware that they could get hurt. So vulnerability has to do with exposure or getting hurt. So I'd rather, if that's the case, so I'm, you know, as opposed to fear of public speaking, they're feeling vulnerable about getting up on stage. Or to our conversation before this, they're feeling vulnerable about doing a Facebook Live or whatever it is. Why? Because they might embarrass themselves. But if they know that they can handle the other seven feelings, they can be vulnerable. And then if it's not vulnerability that they're experiencing in the moment, then in all likelihood, what's really going on is they're experiencing one or more of the other seven feelings. So let's say, for instance, let's say there's an unpleasant interaction that took place. There's a conflict going on between you and your spouse, but you haven't talked to your spouse what, about your upset. You're angry and you're disappointed and, and you're still not talking about it. And it's now either hours, days or weeks later. Where is all that feeling going to go? Well, it starts to look like anxiety as opposed to the, the, the anger and the disappointment that it is. That makes sense. It's that energy. It feels like an energy. Right. Exactly. But it, in my head, it's transmuted. It went from anger and disappointment to anxiety and mostly because it's not being expressed or, ex or experienced and expressed. So another way that I look at anxiety is that it's unexperienced 
and unexpressed feeling. And again, for me, it's the eight feelings. Or anxiety is a cover, like an umbrella over the eight unpleasant feelings. That makes sense. Now, it's one thing to understand that, and I think it's always important to have understanding. But let's say I'm the one feeling anxious, and all these unexpressed feelings are bubbling up. I still don't, I don't know how to manage it, right? How do we go about managing this successfully? What, what are the strategies that we can do? Because, you know, this can be, this is like peeling back the onion in a lot of ways, right? If someone doesn't have the skill set to manage these emotions, anxiety or not, they're in, they're in trouble. Well, again, the whole notion is that they keep on coming back to the eight unpleasant feelings and understanding that when those feelings, when they become aware that they are feeling whatever it is, that they then allow themselves to kind of move into the experience understand it's going to be short-lived and to, if you will, to ride the wave or waves of un, of kind of that unpleasant bodily sensation. If they can hang out long enough with those waves, usually some insights start to emerge. That's been my experience. Yeah. And are there specific, ins- some insights that you can give us some clarity on that people can expect? I can imagine when you're in the murky waters of, of dealing with this and, and not really moving through these unpleasant experiences, you may not realize that there's going to be these gems of, of insights or enlightenment. What are things that people can experience if they decide to move through these unpleasant feelings in a way that supports them? A real straightforward one would be, let's say, that I've seen myself as being close to a particular friend for many years. But over the years, the person has actually either um, trash-talked me or they've put me down or they don't show up consistently or there's a, the, the negative qualities that are they're actually going on. But I've tried to overlook all of that. And, and instead of overlooking it, what I start to do is I start to lean into the real feelings that I'm having. And I start to realize that no, I'm I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm disappointed or some or frustrated or something like that. And and then I sit down and I go, oh, you know what? I've actually been feeling a lot of that for a long period of time. And and now I'm staying with the feeling experience, allowing myself to kind of lean into it or go into it. And then what starts to surface is, you know what? That person's actually not so good for me. I, you know what? I don't really want to spend time with that person. Or if for me to spend time with the person going forward, I actually need to say something in terms of how I'm being impacted. So now those are the insights that are starting to come up about uh, because I've allowed myself to, to stay in the experience as opposed to move away from it. So understanding that when you stay with a feeling experience long enough, you might develop an awareness of decisions that you need to make or want to make. You might become aware of things that you want to express, or you might become aware of actions that you want to take. That makes absolute sense. And then giving yourself clarity on how to act on it. You know, if, if indeed there's somebody who's constantly triggering you, moving you through unpleasant experiences, that once you're able to move through those, you can get clarity and create actions that best serve your emotional well-being. Right. Exactly. I love exactly. it. 
I also want to connect about, because this is an, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, and that was confidence. And I wanted to understand, because I know this is an area that you have spent a lot on as well, but that connection between unpleasant feelings and confidence, can you speak to that a little bit? And even in that, in that same vein, if it connects in, I'd love to understand because a lot of people who are struggling with confidence, I think you probably see this more than I do, so you have a better sense of things, but how do we begin once we we understand that connection between these unpleasant feelings and confidence, is there a way to, to really build it up? Can we create more confidence in ourselves? Uh, well, I would say yes, definitely. So my, the first starting point for me is, can it really be learned? And and I say absolutely Yes. And what I, I've done is I've identified six basic ways, really, that people can build confidence and with the kind of three or four of them that I, I consider really, really crucial. In the best of circumstances, first of all, we're loved on. Not everybody gets that, but that, that when we come into the world that, that we're experienced as a, as a loved being, right? And that's not something that we can do for ourselves when we're infants and toddlers and such but uh, or young children or even older children but that does make a difference we can develop an area of expertise and never share it and do we just have a knowledge and that's a, a second way i think people build confidence i think it really begins to turn in the things that are in truly in our control have to do with the first part is actually allowing ourselves to experience the truth of what we experience i think that when we try to shut down, ignore, distract from, disconnect from, check out from what we are genuinely experiencing, then we actually move away from the kind of that, again, that sense of wholeness and that sense of authenticity. And when we do that, we, we actually move away from what take, it takes to build confidence. So the first confidence builder is is just allowing yourself to genuinely experience whatever it is that you're truly experiencing. So if you're sad, be sad. If you're angry, be angry. If you're frustrated, be frustrated. We do the pleasant feelings well. It's the unpleasant ones that we want to cut out. So if we allow ourselves to actually just be present to those, just doing that starts to build confidence. The second and third ways are kind of linked. And to me, there's just, it's like, they're so crucial. The next are having to do with speaking and taking action. And, and what I realized, Marisa, is that it's not that we know ourselves and then we speak. It's not that we have confidence and then we speak. It's not that we have confidence and then we take action or take risks. It's as we speak. We come to know ourselves and develop confidence. And it's as we take action, that's when we build confidence. So, so it's not building confidence and developing confidence is not a passive experience. We actually have to be engaged in risk-taking as it relates to speaking up and as it relates to taking action, whatever those action-taking bits are before we can develop the confidence. It come the confidence comes through the experience of the doing in either way, the speaking up or taking action. That makes so much sense. I'm sure those listening right now were hoping that was not what you were gonna say. 
<laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, in the sense that it's, and I talk about this a lot, it's, it's really just got to go and do it, right? That's going to get you past that perceived vulnerability. As you mentioned earlier, right. it's not really fear. It's perceived vulnerability. Look at, I'm learning something. Damn, quick learner. Love it. Thank you. But then, you know, everyone's just like, oh, I can't, oh, I can't. And I'm, you know, you're always trying to like, it's, it's all about that action. And it's the one thing it's, it's, a, it's where people are getting stuck. And so they kind of need to look at that vulnerability in the face and just know that they've got to take that step forward and move through those, like you mentioned, move through those unpleasant feelings to kind of get on the other side of that, to make that step forward. That's where the two are linked. So for me to be able to take risks, to speak up or to take some kind of action, then I have to be willing to face the unpleasant feeling outcome of it not working out. And what's the most likely feeling outcome of it not working out? The eight unpleasant feelings. So if I see myself as being able to manage the eight unpleasant feelings, then I can go take as many risks as I want to take because I know that the worst possible outcome is just going to be those eight feelings. So that's how they, they intersect. I won't take the risk. I won't speak up. I won't take an action if I don't see myself as being able to handle the, the unpleasant feeling on the other side, if it were to come. That makes perfect sense. I love that. And I so, I'm so grateful that we were able to get to that because I know a lot of people secretly struggle with, with getting to the other side of creating that confidence for themselves. And I know that this has been an area of focus for you for quite some time with great success. Well, Joan, honey, I want to, is there any last, any last words of advice, anything you can give us before you go? And then you also got to tell us where we can find you and talk a little bit about the new book. Well, the book that you've, that's coming out right now, it's out. Uh, yes. 90 seconds to a life you love is the name of the book. And it's how to master your difficult feelings to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. And people have a, a taste of how it links together, but I, I use the whole approach then to, to deal with other situations as well. Trust, anxiety, I deepen the conversation around anxiety, deepen the conversation around speaking. And there's just a, a whole lot of stuff in there. So they can find me on drjoanrosenberg.com. They can find me at 90secondsbook.com. And there's a couple TED Talks. If they're interested in TED Talks, they just punch my name in and Joan Rosenberg TED Talk and some stuff will come up. So there's there's lots of material that, that's out there to learn about the, this whole approach and how to apply it. You know, I love your TED Talks. They are so powerful. And so you guys definitely, if you're TED Talk listeners or TED Talk watchers, just go to TED Talk and you can find Dr. Joan Rosenberg's TED Talks pretty quickly. And she really goes into the 90 seconds of moving through those unpleasant emotions and gives a lot of great stories and information on there. Joan, I am so excited about your book. And I know you can we can get it anywhere books are sold. Is that correct? That is true. Absolutely true. Every Every outlet that you can think of has uh, access to it. Yes. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and really your wisdom in an area that a lot of us feel lost. Thank you so much. I love that you came on and I can't wait for everyone to grab that book. The link will be in the show notes. You guys know where to go to find that. Thank you, Dr. Joan Rosenberg. You're so welcome. I'm honored and grateful. Thank you so much. One of the biggest concerns women come to me with is anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. I personally recommend essential oils and breathing techniques for instantly relaxing the mind and the body and quelling anxiousness. 
However, I love that Dr. Joan has studied how to move through any unpleasant emotion in 90 seconds or less. Her proven technique has helped thousands of people over the years, and it was the focus of one of her two incredible TED Talks. Absolutely worth checking those out. If you would like to master the skill set for healing unpleasant emotions, I want you to go and check out Dr. Joan's new book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. The link will be in the show notes, or you can just head to your favorite book retailer. They will have Dr. Jones Rosenberg's book available, just like they're going to have mine available. So might as well go grab them both. So I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. Now, I have been waiting for months for this next episode to go down. It is with my dear friend, Alexander Jameson and her husband, and we are going to be talking about how to get what you want by getting to hell yes for both you and the person you are connecting to. Now, Alexandra and her husband have come up with the most remarkable four-step process to working towards really getting what you want out of life, out of a business interview, out of a family conversation, and so much more. It's the type of skill set that will really allow you to move and navigate through life without a lot of crazy drama and conflict. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show, my goal is to spread the word about the Essentially You podcast. And the best way to do that is word of mouth. So I would love for you to continue to share just what you're loving on the podcast. Share an episode on Instagram, on Facebook, or wherever you like to talk about, you know, podcast episodes or what you're learning, or even just mention it over coffee or tea. That is going to be the way that we change women's health care. That is going to be the way that we help support our family, the women in our life. And that is how we create a revolution around how we take care of women. So I just want to say thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. 